Hi, I'm Sarah May, and I'm the host of your new favorite show, Help Me Be Me. It's a self-help podcast for people who hate self-help. Help Me Be Me is full of practical tools to help you overcome a variety of emotional challenges, delivered in a way that's caring but frank. So if that sounds up your alley, I would invite you to check out Help Me Be Me on the iHeart app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, a podcast against shame. I hope you're well and I hope you enjoy today's episode because you've been asking me to interview this guest for years and I've been trying, but our schedules have been very difficult to align because she's very talented and beautiful and cool and kind and humble and in demand and well-informed and I love her. I'm in love with her. I think that's what we've just realised. I'm in love with her. Uh, But her name is Sophia Bush and she is one of the great entertainers of my generation and someone that I think we were all collectively madly in love with during her nine years on One Tree Hill. Uh, She has gone on to not only be an actor, but a great podcaster. She's a wonderful podcast called Work in Progress, uh, which kind of deals with some of the same issues as this podcast does. And she's a phenomenal advocate. And she has been long before it was cool to use your privilege to speak about important issues back when it was really like career ending to do so. She's been advocating for controversial issues and recognising early on that her job is to advocate to the people that look like her, which is privileged white people uh, rather than making marginalized people do that work and in this episode we just have a super laid back warm chat about everything that's pissing us off everything we want to do everything that we both care so much about the things that we think are problems with our movement or our way the things that we have so much hope in and the things that keep us up at night and some of those things are abortion and the politicisation of it. And and she really gets into the nitty gritty of why that's become such a hot topic, why trans and drag issues have become such a hot topic. It's a conversation that isn't without its depressing moments, of course, because when talking about injustice, that's inevitable. But it's ultimately so hopeful because her optimism just bursts through the microphone. And we, I promise we end this on a really positive and hopeful and energised note. Uh, and also just enjoy her wonderful voice, which sounds like eating chocolate for the first time. It's just glorious. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the fabulous Sophia Bush. Hello, Sophia Bush. <laughs> Welcome to I Way. How are you? I'm good, honey. How are you? I'm very good. I am so happy to have you here. It has taken so long for us to finally uh, be in the same place at the same time-ish, even though we're still on Zoom. But you are a very busy lady and uh, I'm very excited to to see you. It's been a while since we've seen each other in person. It has. I. I it's funny. I have a group, I think, of women like you, who I feel so close to, even though when I think about it, I realize I don't see you that often. Yeah. Yeah. We just sort of see each other in, in passing. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think one of the first times I ever met you, uh, I was, oh God, he's going to kill me. Um, but I was driven to come over to you to say hello to you. It's not, cause not only was I, obviously I grew up a huge fan of yours, but also, um, you were the love of my boyfriend's life. <laughs> 
he was younger and he like froze when he saw you and I had to like take him over to introduce him to you because I was like that's what that's what a good girlfriend does like you don't so sweet yeah you don't get in the way of that moment and uh, you were so sweet to both of us and so gracious Uh, and I imagine um, it must be quite weird being like an entire generation's crush I mean listen when people are polite about it it's quite lovely uh, also really fun when, you know, I, I get to meet so many people who identify differently, who have yeah. similar loving feelings for my first TV character. So I, I also really appreciate that she transcends, uh, most identity and just seems to be someone people love. It, it's actually quite flattering for me. It's, you're, you're universally hot. That's what that <laughs> means. Like, it's well, like okay. a Marvel superpower. I'll take um, it. oh my goodness. So, Okay. I, I want to make the most of your time here today because I feel like you and I are so aligned in so many ways and I so love and admire the way that you use your platform and have done for such a long time. Mm. Um, you and I were both talking on the phone the other day about how a lot of people think that you just started using your voice when it was trendy, but actually if anyone does due diligence and looks into your history of using your platform long before it was cool or even vaguely acceptable mm. for a woman to speak out about issues um you've been on that front line you know taking the sort of Jane Fonda approach of of trying to make sure that you don't miss the opportunity to help others we are both actresses we are both women in the entertainment industry we're around the same age we may be up for the same roles etc but me too um being such a large vocal moment specifically for for women of Mm. all ages meant that we could see each other as friends you and I've both been in scenarios in our early 20s where we've been turned against other women or been told other women are turning against us we've both been manipulated around the other women who are around us and made to feel like we should be isolated and as we get older we realize that that's a deliberate tool of the patriarchy of Mm -hmm. not just this industry but also society at large they do this in banks they do this at school they do this all Mm -hmm. these different ways to create hierarchies between women that separate each other um, so that we won't talk about our common experiences Yes. And so that we won't grow in power because of the strength in numbers. And the awareness of that lack of logic. When you when you sort of lift the veil and you go, oh, they want us to be worried about each other, intimidated by each other, to think mm-hmm. they want me to think that she is out there picking on me so that we don't gang up and take the power from them. Mm-hmm. There are so many more of us in these, you know, quote, oppressed classes, whether you're looking at, you know, gender, race, economics, there are so many more of us than there are of the people at the top of the hierarchy of the patriarchy. So they are terrified that we are all going to team up and take the power from them and create a more equitable system. Mm. But the idea that our system isn't equitable in the first place is, as you said, completely illogical. Because when you create equity, you actually grow the system. It's not a pie. It's not, oh, well, if your piece gets smaller, your piece has to get smaller for mine to get larger. No, if if you create equity, the actual pie itself gets bigger. There's room for everyone. And that's one of those truths. That's one of those avenues of logic that I think we are so privileged to be able to use our platforms to talk about day in and day out and bring more and more people into the truth of that reality because it's not just morally right, it's economically beneficial. Mm. <laughs> when, when you can in your soul know that something is just and economists say, yep, and it's really good for the GDP, it, like 
how are we arguing that anything else is an option? Yeah, a hundred percent. And and we now see that now that we see that women are more united, like like I said, outside of this industry, like in the world, I notice a change in the way that women receive one another, mm. because I think we realise how much we've all collectively been through and that we are not one another's enemy. Obviously, mm. there's always still work to do in that area when it comes to infighting. But the target has now been moved post Me Too, interestingly, onto trans women, where it's yeah. like, right, well, now this is your enemy. This is who to fear, rather than again... Mm that they're them being the vast minority in our society mm -hmm. the they have been now turned into the boogeyman whereas it used to be other cis women and and it's still taking us a, away from the fact that there's also a larger system at hand that is oppressing all of us mm -hmm. in similar ways and also oppressing men i think we need to be very very clear about mm -hmm. where this target that is on the backs of trans women comes from mm -hmm. sexism patriarchy cannot exist without racism and the people who are the most at risk in the trans community are black trans women. Mm -hmm. The anti-trans sentiment is a bedfellow of racism. And when we have seen an entire world awaken in the wake of George Floyd, when you see white suburbanites painting Black Lives Matter on their driveways in graffiti and mounting signs on their homes, the white heteronormative patriarchy needs to find a scapegoat that creates such intense feelings that are illogical that they have gone after trans folks so hard because they know that the same anti-Black, anti-immigrant sentiment that they've been able to hold on to power through for the last, you know, generations can be drummed up in a fever pitch against trans folks. Can you make and that link between race and, and gender phobia? Yeah, so the let's be clear that the patriarchy in its top hierarchy is a white heteronormative patriarchy, right? Mm -hmm. Like white men in power want to bifurcate the rest of us from each other. White women fall under the illusion that the patriarchy has something for us. It does not. Women, you know, by the age of 22, one in four women in this country has been sexually assaulted. The largest number of perpetrators of that violence are the largest population of men in this country, which are white men. We fall under sexism as a group of women that is pretty universal, regardless of what men look like. But when we're talking about the top of the pyramid, the highest power structure in our current white heteronormative cisgendered society, it's white men who retain the most power, the most economic power. And white women can be terrible agents of the patriarchy. It's why so many white women voted for Donald Trump. You would rather vote for a man who reminds you of someone who has assaulted you or your father who is a pig than you would vote for a white woman who, in this world where women have been encouraged to compete against each other, makes you feel less than. There aren't many of us who have accomplished what Hillary Clinton has accomplished, who, who have her education, who have been the secretary of state. So she can be incredibly triggering to that feeling of... I'm not enough if I'm in her company that women have experienced at the hands of the patriarchy. That's what men have encouraged us to feel around each other. Because again, if we team up, we're dangerous to them. Well, also, but also I think like, I, I think it's always important to state that like, just in the name of balance to prevent anyone then like feeling that something hasn't been said, uh, mm. Hillary Clinton has also like 
got had demonstrable things about her that that people fundamentally disagreed with on political levels. However, yeah. at the same time, we do not scrutinize men to that same level. So exactly. either we need to level the playing field and scrutinize men to the same level, but we cannot have mm-hmm. what Hillary has done versus like a a, a predator. Yeah. who's openly bragging about being a predator before he wins the election. Yes. Um, and who has like a, a completely like openly uh, racist history of um, redlining, et cetera. Yes. Uh, it, it's, this, it's this weird thing where we will vote for the woman if she's perfect and mm-hmm. we will uh, apply the boys will be boys thing to the men. They all need to be checked. Yes. Well, and to your point, if someone, if you had taken exactly who she is as a candidate yeah. and- put her in a, in a man, he would have won. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's simply important for us to understand the way that we have inhaled patriarchy for our whole lives in the same way that our society has inhaled patriarchy and racism and classism for our entire existence. And something that was really transformative to me as we look at this sort of pyramid analysis was reading Gloria Steinem's early work and her talking about the fact that racism and sexism exist together. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're part of this terrible cycle. And so when we look at a world where the folks at the top have maintained power by othering women and by lying to white women that they're not othered, but they certainly are the victims of every terrible thing that they're doing. Um, and they've othered people based on race and gender and, and racism has been institutionalized in this country. When you When you start to see huge swaths of people who have been looked at as oppressed classes, whether it's, you know, women as a whole, whether it's the LGBTQ community, black folks, brown folks, when all these people stand up and march in the streets and say black lives matter, that scary top of the pyramid that's trying to maintain its power says we need a new enemy. And they've made trans women the enemy. And you can't ignore that in the ways that anti-female sentiment, anti-LGBTQ sentiment, anti-black sentiment, they are all linked in this anti-trans sentiment, because again, the people who are the most at risk in the trans community, who are as a whole, the most at risk among us, within that most at risk community are black trans women. They Mm. are the people in the trans community that are getting killed at the greatest numbers, that are experiencing violence at the greatest numbers, that are experiencing poverty at the greatest numbers. And anyone who thinks that all of this anti-trans sentiment is not also anti-black is really missing how deeply entrenched and poisonous the patriarchy is in every cavern of our society. If you are a person who hasn't been blessed with the privilege of exposure to diverse communities, and you have been told by the propaganda that masquerades as a news network that you watch, that there is an evil group of people trying to you know convert everybody by the way in the it's, country. it's left and right-wing media just to be very oh, yeah. clear like especially in the united kingdom like it's it's now becoming both but sorry carry on mm. yeah oh god i've just really started to learn about what's going on in your home country's <laughs> media yeah about this and i'm horrified yeah yeah today uh, a bunch of my friends who are trans have uh, started making moves to leave by the next election <sighs> because actual fascism is is rising over there and it's terrifying. But well, um, in here too. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your your flow. It's just that when we think of a certain news network, mm. um, I think we think of one, but actually it's it's yeah. Uh, there's a growing responsibility. Um, yes, on on both sides. And so again, taking any venom out of that, 
I I could understand how if five years ago you didn't know a single person who said, I mm-hmm. am this, or I yeah. believe this. And then you heard that a quarter of everybody in the country you live in believed in something or or identified as something. I would understand how, again, I make no, to be very clear, I obviously make no excuses for transphobia in any way, shape, or form, or or any sort of bigotry. And I can say, I would understand how that would feel like a wild shift. And you would go, what's going on here? There are people profiting off of trying to make people afraid of each other. And I think it is evil and terrible and unbearably cruel. And and that there are large groups of people out there telling women, you know, cis women, that trans women are our enemies? Absolutely not. Hi there. I'm Liza Powell O'Brien, and I'm a writer, a reader, and the wife of someone you may have heard of. And I'm here to tell you about the newest season of my podcast for Team Coco, Significant Others. Each week, we tell stories you may not know about a person you probably do, like Benedict Arnold, whose wife Peggy may be the reason he almost succeeded in betraying his country. Look for Significant Others wherever you get your podcasts. So I think something that you were sort of touch, touching on, but I think it's also like a scary place to go, right, is a mild approach at empathy towards mm-hmm. those who have been programmed by manipulative media and mostly by social media. You know, we saw, I think it was called The Social Experiment, right? That mm-hmm. that documentary, that documentary that showed us that actually our algorithms are entirely different and we think we're all seeing the same thing. Yeah. But based on what you click on, even if you were clicking on it because you don't agree with it, you want to watch it, you mm-hmm. then get sent algorithmically more things like that. And that's how people can descend into ideologies, either extreme yes. left or extreme right, right? And it's uh, really important because it has led to us thinking we are all reading the same media, we are all receiving the same exposure, and that those who don't understand it from our perspective are just stupid or evil, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the belief on both sides about each other. Mm -hmm. And the reason I think it's really important to to understand that so much of the hatred is is based in ignorance and fear because they are being fear-mongered. They are being told all these yeah. different things are a contagion. They're saying that racial equality is really just a slippery slope into revenge for what's happened to people of colour and to minorities uh, for the last many hundred years in the United States of America. There is a terror. There is this feeling of like, they're going to enslave you now because you do. there's this knowledge that we did something so horrible to these people mm. that if we empower them, I think I was talking to someone about it the other day, that if you like, if you have let's say a dog in a room right and you abuse that dog and you keep it in there and you don't give it light and you don't give it proper food and you you harm that dog's mental health you're not going to fucking open the door to that dog because you're worried it's going to attack you and I think that's what they think is going to happen whereas all we are asking for is equality I know Mm. I have met almost nobody or read the work of almost nobody who seeks to repeat the patterns in the opposite direction as to the Mm. horror that this country has Mm. enacted on people. But what I think is so interesting to your point is that, and this is what I want to get down to the brass tacks on with people, is why do you believe that? And who told you that? Mm -hmm. You know, again, we just had um, a paper published this week. Here in California, the governor ordered a study of what the 
Black Californians who are descendants of the slave trade are owed in reparations. Mm-hmm. Like what the what the wealth gap with every generation's mistreatment of black people in our state. Mm-hmm. How has that V on the graph grown? What what's in the gap? And and in 2023, black people in this state who descended from the slave trade 400 years ago are owed 800 billion dollars. Mhm. And when you think about that, a lot of people go, well, my family didn't have it easy and it was really terrible for us. And, you know, your family came here through Ellis Island and you know how hard they had it. And uh, and people freak out. And it's like, well, just pump the brakes. A, imagine where this group of people could have gone over generations, over 400 years, had that money been infused into their communities. And you know that if it had been infused into their communities, it would have been infused into this economy. Imagine who you or me or any of these other people who might be working for the companies that these families could have started. I I wish that we could calm down and and remember that if something good happens in our community, it also happens for our community. Mm -hmm. If something good happens to my neighbor, that good happens to me. If something good happens to me, I'd really like to think that it happens to my neighbor. And I wish that we could find a way to be together more outside mm-hmm. of, as you said, the echo chambers of these algorithms. Mm-hmm. I wish that we could not jump to immediate panic about being left behind and think about what can be created when more people are welcomed in. And I know that that might sound like a bit of a utopia, but I, I really believe that it's the, the moral truth and the economic truth. It's the social science data. It's as you said, it's the logic on the other side of the emotion, and it all points in the same direction. Yeah, and I, I just, I, I don't have the answer, but I know. Well, you I mean, think they don't have the answers too. either. They don't have the answers either because, like, there's, there's no sense in being afraid of immigrants coming in and yet forcing birth. We are, we are forcing human beings that um, into situations in which people are not financially or emotionally or psychologically mm-hmm. or physically uh, ready to raise them. We have a foster care system that is incredibly noble in its intention, but it is falling apart under the Mm -hmm. pressure. And that's before, uh, that was before those figures were before um, Roe v. Wade was overturned. And so there's no, there's no sense to a lot of these things. And again, I think our current method of, and I know I've been speaking about this a lot lately and everyone's just got to bear with me, but I do feel like this is a, this is a drum that needs to be beaten um, in that we do need to try to reform the way that we approach those who are already afraid because Mm. the way to handle fear, while I know it's tempting and I have done it before, I've Mm. spoken like a total animal to people that I feel so affronted by their beliefs, understandably. Um, But it's, it's, it's very unhelpful when we shame them and I understand why we want to. And there are some of them we should because they are bad faith actors who aren't coming from a place of fear. They're coming from a place of upholding their power mm-hmm. or they're upholding their financial gain or increasing their financial gain. Yeah. Like the we know who we're talking about, the pundits, you know, who spread hate oh, yeah. for profit. But the vast majority of the people who are voting against us are not people who are going to profit in any way. They're only going to suffer from the marginalization of their neighbours but they mm-hmm. are being terrorized and fear-mongered mm-hmm. by their media and by social media and by mm-hmm. the kind of the the increased indoctrination of of um fear-mongering uh, of anyone who's different from you like they are terrified and we have to find out a way 
to unpick that fear, figure out where it's coming from Mm -hmm. and show them that there is nothing to be afraid of because they're not all inherently evil. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to your point, I think it can be a really helpful tool when -hmm. you try to meet someone where they are Mm -hmm. and welcome them closer to truth is to remember, as you said, that there are entire echo chambers profiting off of propaganda. This isn't just people who believe one thing because they heard it. They are Mm -hmm. quite literally being played a tape all day, every day. Mm -hmm. You saw it outside the Trump rally, right? You saw it in New York uh, when Trump was indicted. There were people being interviewed and the amount of QAnon jargon that was coming out were sentences that weren't making sense and and mm-hmm. again like these are people who are older and these videos are mocking of them but what i saw was not people that i wanted to make fun of what i saw was just something deeply terrifying in mm-hmm. how emotional they were about these just non-facts that they are yes. spewing as fact these huge and um detailed conspiracy theories that you can that you can almost like feel their elevated cortisol levels like yep. this is coming from a they're, they're terrified of yep. of all these random conspiratorial takeovers that are coming mm-hmm. and it, they're so radicalized and as you say it's because this has been on repeat all day long they're on facebook they're a generation who's still on facebook and there's it's unbelievable like i have uh i created a burner account a few years ago to kind of enter the red pill uh, and see what it is that people are seeing. After I saw the social experiment, I decided to do that. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different social landscape different to what it universe. is that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Have you changed tact at all in the last couple of years? Do you feel like? Yeah, I think I've definitely had to learn that getting heated and yeah. then publicly being heated doesn't do as well as continually messaging the truth. And it's part of the reason that I try to talk about the moral obligation of inclusivity and building a better society as not just an emotional or moral position, but also a a fiscal one. Because people who've been raised to think they're just financial conservatives, I'm using air quotes, yeah, just think, well, yeah, you've got this nice flowery moral belief. And I, I have to say, no, this is what the social science data shows about life expectancy. This is what the economists say about the economy. You have to give people um, tools to know what the truth is in the language that they have been raised to speak. And, you know, it's it's why the other day you were mentioning we were on the phone and I was telling you about what a shock it was when the life expectancy map of the United States came out because they they coded the map um, in red to blue. So it looks like a voting map. Blue states are blue, red states are red, but it's the, it's the map of life expectancy. And these states that overwhelmingly vote for these Republican policies and that ban abortion and that refuse to expand Medicaid and that will not allow for you know, healthcare, they have the lowest life expectancies in the country. So the policies that people are being told are, quote, patriotic, that are that are real American, that they're voting for are literally killing them. And, and is that an increased like gun violence? Is that just uh, it's gun violence? Of, it's health outcomes. It? It's it's all of it. It's wild to see how all of these things conflate. And, you know, there's folks who are who are anti-choice 
crusaders out in the world who really believe that stopping abortion will do great things for the American family. And all it does is put families and children into poverty and, and lower the length of their lives. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, this is not an emotional position. This is, this is data. This is fact. And it's very hard to pierce through these issues that have been taken up by political parties to create illogical emotional reactions in people. Mm -hmm. But something that I find really powerful is that when Roe became the law of the land in 1973, the right had nothing to say about it. It wasn't until six years later when they lost, and I can't remember what state it was in, they lost their last legal appeal to stop the integration of schools that they said, well, we need a new issue. So they decided to go after the unborn, and they actually lobbied among clergy to change the biblical definition of life beginning at first breath to life beginning at conception. That was a political move. They have bastardized religion for politics, which shouldn't matter since the United States is not a theocracy. The entire founding principle of this country is that you get to live as you want and believe what you believe. And Mm -hmm. you do not fall under the religious law of anybody, and they do not fall under yours. The Constitution is it. And well, this is why it's so (laughs) ridiculous that we have bills that are passing that are saying that it's up to clergy to decide Mm -hmm. uh, who gets to be married. I mean, they've gone after interracial, interfaith marriage. It's It's, insane. uh, Not to mention, of course, anti LGBTQ. So, like, they're taking Mm -hmm. away people's ability to join in a union Mm -hmm. of love. So when we talk about the rise of fascism here and around the world, when we talk about the rise of Christian nationalism in a Christo-fascist state, mm-hmm. we are not being hyperbolic and we are not exaggerating. We are literally witnessing the strangulation of democracy by religious institutions. And it is a wild moment to be in. And when when we talk about how serious this is, when we talk about 100-year cycles, when we talk about you know, an attempted coup in the 20s, the 2020s, and then the 1920s that then in the 1930s led to an actual genocide. And we say they're they're using all the playbooks from 1920s Germany to 1930s Germany right now here in our country. And people say, oh, you're being ridiculous. We're not. And it's why I think it's incredibly important to your point to figure out how to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Because if we don't figure out how to be together, Outside of these silos of propaganda that are in our faces all day long on our phones and computers, I I don't know what's going to happen to us. Yeah, I'm I'm increasingly terrified, and I also just no one takes into account what could have happened had the 1920s involved social media and the access and the ability yeah. to mobilize. Well, and, and the deep fakes and the videos. I mean, I yeah. I had someone who I really care about say to me, and I could tell by the algorithm and did a little digging that because this person is a religious Christian, that they're beginning to get fed some things in their socials that are not based in reality. You're talking about the drag brunches, the insane uh-huh. AI deep fakes yep. of drag brunches showing like a man in a, th- I'm sorry, it, just yes. showing a person in a thong. I'm not sure of their gender. Um, uh, yeah. Upside with the, with down. the exposed silicone and the exposed genitals yeah, and the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And and the dancing around babies and children. Yeah. Just to be clear. Yeah. And it's a it's not real. Mm-hmm. And it's propaganda made to demonize a group of people 
And all the all the conversations I had about the propaganda and how how could this get you know get into your head and all the things. You know what finally clicked for this friend of mine? I said, let's look at drag. Let's look at the iconography of Priscilla Queen of the Desert to the birdcage. Um, let me remind you of my lovely, you know, um, not blood uncle, but my family uncle Jeff, um, whose husband Winston did drag as Diana Diana Ross every Saturday night, you know, through all of the 80s and 90s and is so mm-hmm. fabulous. I said, have you ever seen a fabulous drag queen? Not in full, perfect, laid lace front, incredible makeup. Nothing is exposed. Nothing is shown. What drag queen have you ever seen who would let you know, you know, what's how it's all made? The whole point is that it's a perfect, gorgeous costume camp fantasy. And and it clicked for this person like, oh, oh, yeah. Did you see, did you see that viral uh, video that's gone around in the last month of that comedian saying like, of course, drag queens aren't abusing children. If they did, those children would be covered in glitter. He was like, you know what we need to do? He was like, it would be the shortest episode of SVU ever. Like, ever. here's yeah. where it is. Here's all the glitter. There she is. She did it. Um, yeah. And he said like, you want to protect children? He was like, cover the priests in glitter. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, genius. You know what I've started doing is every time I see an article about, you know, a bust um, of the trafficking of children in Texas by clergy mm-hmm. members and school principals and, you know, all around the country, this stuff is happening. Every time I see an article on Twitter, I just retweet it and I say, still not a drag queen. Over yeah. and over and over and over and over again, because I'm trying to prove a point. Dude, the, the headmaster of my primary school was a, like a leader in a pedophile gang. No. He used to, yeah, he used <gasps> to let like Gary Glitter come to our school and pick out. And I went to school for vulnerable children where a lot of the children were special needs. Um, I had trouble with my hearing. I had trouble with my joints. Like there were lots of children who had cerebral palsy, like a lot of children, a lot of children with uh, severe ADHD, like a lot of vulnerable kids with not enough carers per kid. Mm-hmm. And and when he was caught, they found thousands of hours of videos of our students, vulnerable, disabled children no. uh, in his, in videos that he'd taken because he was just like charming, you know, kind of uh, tall, uh, well-to-do, um, kind-seeming, you know, up, upstanding mm-hmm. member of our, mm-hmm. of our society that no one suspected. And he was a demon. Wow, I'm so sorry. Yeah. It's re it's really it's really wild, but this is we are we are looking at the we're looking at supervised drag brunches and never mm-hmm. looking at the unsupervised places where we've been told our children are safe. And that's always yep. where the damage happens. Well, and by the way, one of the things is they keep pointing, right? The 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 evangelical right and the the far right in American politics points, points, mm-hmm. points at again the most vulnerable, our LGBTQ communities, trans women. And they say, this is the problem. This is the problem. Rather than these are the people who need the most protection from Mm -hmm. people like us. The people who are screaming that it's drag queens that are the problem. uh, You know, 13 of the states trying to outlaw drag brunches right now in America still have legal child marriage. Tennessee just defeated a bill to ban child marriage. The GOP in Tennessee went and fought against making marrying children illegal. This happened this year in 2023. So we, we're being bait and switched. Our society is not paying attention to the right thing. And we're not paying attention to the people who are doing real evil among us. And mm. 
All I know how to do to your point in this moment is to keep beating the drum. So I just try to repeat it. And every yeah, time and keep a new pointing out the contradictions. Out. Yes. We keep pointing out the contradictions like the we don't want to allow children to go anywhere near gender affirming care, otherwise their parents or the doctor can be imprisoned and they can be taken away from their parents. But at the same time, we have no problem if a nine year old is molested by her dad and mm-hmm. she becomes pregnant, Forcing she will her have to, have to carry baby. yeah, she will have to carry that baby to time, which will probably and could very much likely kill her or at least derail and destroy her life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, it's just like it doesn't add up. Like the mm-hmm. the fear of, you know, the fear for children around, you know, gender or whatever. But then we have everything to do with, you know, or even like sex education or reading To Kill a Mockingbird. And yet mm-hmm. we still have the guns and the ARs specifically. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if, if you just keep challenging people calmly with mm-hmm. contradictions and asking them why... Often mm-hmm. they unravel, but instead, and I'm not having a go at us, but I think by pointing in their face and telling them that they're just stupid or evil, then we don't force them to critically think about the answers as to why they're okay with one and not the other. Mm-hmm. Why are we worried about trans women in uh, in prisons with cis women, but we're not worried about m- police wardens, male police wardens who are responsible for pregnancies in women's mm-hmm. jails who are responsible for an un bearable amount of sexual abuse and probation officers who are able to uh, abuse the women that they oversee with impunity because if the woman rejects that man in any way and they are predominantly male we need to do something about that um then uh they can be sent back to prison because that person Mm -hmm. can report that they've broken their probation so it just doesn't it doesn't make sense and and it wasn't making sense to me and matt bernstein who's a fucking wonderful uh online social justice speaker was saying to me recently that it's because people are afraid of the society we live in and the oppressive system or the danger is so ginormous. It's almost like a big intangible mist. And so for our own sanity, sometimes people seek Mm -hmm. out the boogeyman. They seek out, well, I'm going to project all my issues onto you because if I can tangibly destroy you, I have some feeling of control or an autonomy. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like I'm de- protecting myself in some way because it's too much, too unfathomable to take on the system of male wardens or patriarchy. So we yeah. just go after this t- less than 1%. Hi there. I'm Liza Powell O'Brien, and I'm a writer, a reader, and the wife of someone you may have heard of. And I'm here to tell you about the newest season of my podcast for Team Coco, Significant Others. Each week, we tell stories you may not know about a person you probably do, like Benedict Arnold, whose wife Peggy may be the reason he almost succeeded in betraying his country. Look for Significant Others wherever you get your podcasts. I really do think in the ways we get it wrong, we are we are thinking everyone that we're clearly messaging to gets the same facts in their, you know, in their phones all day long as we do. And that's just not the case. So we've yeah. got to get smarter about... Okay, well, we're not allowed to look into the silos. In, we're not allowed to even yeah. converse with those people as we're considered em- embracing it or platforming. Like we're calling to cut it on both sides, politically calling to cut people off who have different um, political opinions. Like none of this is going to work. We have to be in the trenches together because we have a way bigger enemy when united. If we really look at things, the people who benefit from all of us turning on each other are not giving any of us regardless of our political ideology or political like feelings, the healthcare that we need, the support that we need, the social support, 
the wage gap versus the mortgage yeah. gap like like all these crazy things are happening uh food being poisoned mm-hmm. big sugar dominating the united yeah. states of america yeah, it's all these broken for all of us yeah big pharma like yeah. ev- everything is a nightmare and we're all just sitting there like picking at each other we can unpack this stuff but also discuss the fact that we have living countries that exist right now places like new zealand or places like mm-hmm. certain parts of europe obviously fascism is rising and you know um oh god too many european countries but we have seen what happens when yeah. we create equalities we create tolerance like and it's not it's not a utopia like we've seen what happens when they when they take away assault rifles that yeah, mass shootings go down like yeah we I, did it here we had the assault weapons ban and and when it lapsed, it wasn't voted back in because politicians were taking money from the NRA. Yeah. It's marketing. And the fact that we allow marketing money to matter more than our kids is insane. But I I feel really bolstered when we look at other places that are coming up with incredible solutions. When we look at, as you said, great examples from New Zealand, from Finland, you know, even Copenhagen and, and the water project that they did years ago. Mm-hmm. It, there is so much inspiring work happening around the world. And when you look at, you know, the happiest countries on earth, you go, we could do that. We could make a couple of changes. We could do that. And, and by the way, we would all flourish. It's just about figuring out how to get underneath these blankets of messages that encourage infighting rather than community success. For sure. And also like for anyone who kind of feels hopeless, I'm sure that Berlin is not a perfect place. Um, I only spent like three months there last year. But given where Berlin has come from, right, and they have reminders of it all over the mm-hmm. entire city, you can't swing a cat for a reminder of what they did that was incredibly fucked up. But the place has turned into somewhere that is so gay and trans friendly and sex friendly. Mm-hmm. Like they don't demonize sex. It doesn't feel like a theocracy over there. Uh, Neighbours help one another. Women walk safer through the streets. I, you know, I've spoken about it mm-hmm. once in this podcast before, but I remember being stunned by seeing this gorgeous woman eating pizza alone at 11 p.m. at night outside a pizzeria. Mm-hmm. And she had her headphones on already. Like woman with headphones on at 11 p.m. at night. Beautiful woman, young woman alone, headphones yeah. on. And she doesn't even look nervous. Mm-hmm. You can tell that those cortisol levels are on the floor. She's just sitting there. She's looking into, listening to like a podcast. She's staring mm. into space. She's not like gripping her handbag or looking around her. And she's got every right to, because she's not being bothered by a single man. They are just coming and going and leaving her to it. And I, mm. I was like, how sad that I am so stunned. Shocked. By this, like how sad that I could go for a 9 p.m. walk and I feel pretty fucking safe and I get home without having even been fucking looked at twice by a man. I was like, what? And, and that's just the we're just talking about one particular type of safety. But again, the tolerance and the growing racial like uh, diversity there. I was like, this yeah. is a fucking social experiment that you don't that you can come from the fucking brink of complete madness and pull it back to become somewhere mm-hmm. that everyone feels like a part of something really good and the people come together uh, in Mm -hmm. such a stunning way. And isn't it interesting to acknowledge that the only way that it's possible is by telling the truth about where you've been and who you've been. Honestly. You've got to. And you know, these people who want us to erase our history here, Mm -hmm. it's unfathomable to me. It happened. It's not up for debate. You know, everything that this country has done 
happened, imagine mm-hmm. if we could just agree to let the truth be the truth and then move on to make it better. The, the amount of energy that is wasted by humanity, yeah. by the mm-hmm. fighting over what we're going to acknowledge and what we're not. Let's just acknowledge who we've been and how we became this way and then work on community solutions. But again, the community solutions are the threat to the top of the patriarchy pyramid. So they want us fighting about, you know, what books our kids should be reading in school. I I will never forget listening to one of those school board meetings and this mom was like, my, you know, my son came home from a lesson about the Holocaust and was just destroyed. And I was like, lady, that's a sign that you're doing a good job. You're not raising a sociopath. Imagine if your teenage boy came home and was like, yeah, genocide. Wow. That was a cool history lesson, mom. You would, you would have a problem. Mm-hmm. Like you're supposed to be mortified by the worst things that humanity has ever done so that you can be a person who would never allow it to happen again. And we can all be reassured in what little shits we were once and how much we have changed and how much reform we've seen in other human beings, maybe within our families or our social circles. Like We, we know that human reform is so possible only yeah. if you are willing to not gaslight people about the past and move through it and move mm. on. And, yes. and I think that as long as we can also, as a culture as a social culture, embrace change and not always tie people to all the mistakes they made before, Mm. then we can further motivate people. If we don't motivate people Mm -hmm. by saying, okay, you know what? I actually see the work you're doing. I see your growth. I'm going to stop treating you as the exact person you were before. Um, Then I I think we also have a better chance of that. I think, I think, Grow, growing in our tolerance, understanding of each other and our hope, like we're becoming hopeless. And it's so vitally important that we don't mm. lose that right now. We need it more than ever. And I think mm. you have that hope and I have that hope. And even though it seems like we're probably shouting all the time, we're shouting because we have hope, because we believe yes. in change. That's what activism and advocacy is, is a fundamental belief in change, mm-hmm. therefore a move towards it. And and so what? how would you encourage young people out there who are listening to this who identify with you in some way what are some things that you would encourage them to do if they're feeling because a lot of people aren't at the beginning of their journeys let's be real post 2020 a lot of people jumped in and then a lot of people got very afraid and then some people got Mm -hmm. burnt out because they were supposed to then be across perfectly every issue i know you face that as a public figure yeah um god forbid you miss one news story and then everyone tells you you're a nightmare and you don't believe in anything you say you believe in you're like i i was just sick yesterday i'm sorry yeah Uh, (laughs) i just literally needed to take a nap i didn't see it but we have going on yeah we have a a growth in like fatigue and intimidation yeah and how do we how do we oversee that and like how do we override that in ourselves and how would you hope that they can override it Listen, I think you've got to be kind to yourself. I also think we've all got to light this idea of perfect on fire. It's so toxic. I I think what I have found matters to me is I'm really trying, I'm trying to just go for a walk in my neighborhood for 20 minutes every morning mm-hmm. to give myself 20 minutes of just fresh air and self-care. It's actually mm-hmm. really hard for me. And then to say, give yourself another 20 minutes where you dig into what's going on around you. So if that means, you know, creating a list of people that you follow who you trust for their opinions, you know, that might be us at I am a voter 
encouraging young people to get out and and vote and change their futures. It might be following the NRDC. It might be following, um, you know, someone like Brittany Packnett Cunningham, who's going to let you know exactly what's going on um, in her community and, you know, is on the news all the time being an incredible voice um, of reason. Like it, there's so many wonderful human beings. It's people that you're cultivating. It's it's me really trying to use my platform as my own version of a news outlet and make sure that every day in my stories, things that are important are getting eyeballs. Um, do what you can and follow people you trust. And to your point, if someone that you know or care about says something that doesn't quite track, if you can tell they're getting one of those scary silos infiltrating their space, Maybe just say, where did you hear that? What made you believe that? Can I, can I send you something about this that I happen to know about? It, it doesn't have to be a full-on, um, you know, 12-hour-a-day job that you add on to your job. But it can really be, um, it can be something that with a little bit of nurture every day, you feel more informed, you feel more equipped, the people around you feel loved. That that would be my encouragement is be gentle with yourself, take breaks when you need to. And in the ways you want to love your community, try to make sure you're loving yourself, even if it's just 20 minutes a day. My uh, my roommates and I have uh, created now like a, an information curfew uh, of just mm. between like five and seven is when we look at politics mm. and can talk to each other about politics. And it's I like you. That. So so it just like I finished my day at five. It's not the first thing I see in the morning because then I just set off with like stress and terror about the state yeah. of the world. And so I I get my work done. I have my time with my dogs or with my boyfriend and with my friends. And then at 5 p.m. to 7 p.m., it is fucking go time. I'm going to go and fucking look into everything. I'm even going to look at the things that are opposing my very rights to see yeah. what people are thinking and why and who's telling them these things. Um and I'm going to, but I'm careful with it because I don't want to like increase the algorithm in their favor too much. Uh, right. <laughs> but 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 those giving yourself, giving myself anyway, worked for me um, a boundary as to how often I'm allowed to take in information that's literally creating a dysfunction in my hormones because of how stressed I've been. Yeah, the cortisol and everything. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. How much that's impacted my estrogen, et cetera. Like I, I mm. I've seen like a physical severe impact on my sleep and on my hormones and on my yeah. period and everything yeah. partially from my environment. So that can also be food that I eat, et cetera, but also massively feeling like I have to be informed 24 hours of the day and I have yeah. to be an, uh, a first responder publicly mm -hmm. when I don't have all of the data and then I fuck yeah. up my communication yeah. <laughs> or I platform the wrong person by mistake. Um, and so yeah. it has given me a calmer way. And I, I highly suggest those hours It's before you eat, it's away from dinner time, another time mm. that it's important for you to feel rested and calm so you get your nutrients mm. I love um, that five and seven. far away from sleep. So yeah, mm -hmm. but we don't, because we get into large, long political conversations, otherwise in my household, so, and we don't get anything done. So yeah. now, now that's just an option for some people that I've started adopting and maybe you can take that on as that's well. That's wonderful. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. I think I, I've really tried to make sure it's not my first thing in the morning. I don't know that I could wait till five, but I do think maybe splitting the window and giving myself a morning and an afternoon time 
might be a nice experiment you need for me. that you need that you need that hit of that news <laughs> i just i just don't think i could wait all day you know i know things are happening um but i i have definitely something that that we instituted in our house which has made a big difference is we have alarm clocks on each side of our bed so we no, do not no take, phones there are no screens in our bedroom whatsoever no phones in the bedroom there's no wake up and open the phone when you turn off the alarm and start scrolling, it's it's a non-starter. And there I was thinking you were both listening to my podcast 24 <laughs> hours a day on your Just phones. laying in bed. You fucking traitor. Scrolling, listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Following my Instagram and my Twitter. <laughs> I'm hugely disappointed and this is a really sour note to end this on. So um, no. <laughs> Little Broken uh, Hearts Club great. over here. I think it's great. I think you're great. This is not the chat that we intended to have. We, we had a whole mental we had health a whole thing other we were going to talk about. You're going to have to come back another time. Okay. But the thing is, is that you you just speak so beautifully about things in a way that is so uninflammatory and fact-based and science-based. Mm. And right now we don't, have enough people who are who have big platforms who are coming from a place of kindness rather than condescension mm. and you are still mm. firm in everything that you fight for you are unforgiving in in the right in the ways that that feel incredibly careful and important and you're a very considered person and and it's Thank very you. very hard to maintain being considered when these things are directly emotionally impacting you. You and I feel mm -hmm. very, very emotional about abortion rights being taken away, about many, yeah. about our friends, our neighbours being impacted, having their rights taken away, rights that we are still able to retain. Like, yeah. it, this is emotional labour. And not just emotional labour, this is emotional, um, it's an emotional situation. It's very hard to keep your yeah. cool. And I feel like you've done a lot of personal mental health work on yourself. Yeah, to, to be able to figure out where to put the very real grief and the very real rage mm -hmm. and the frustration and the stress and and to give it its own space um, so that it's not the reactionary thing that I immediately carry into every space with me has taken a long time. But it, How do you do that, by the way? Um, I don't even know how to explain it. It's, it's a practice. It's, um, it's really something that I've had to learn. You know, I, I signed up for my first political campaign in 2007 and I was working on environmental campaigns before that. I've just been doing this for a really long time. And sometimes I'm, I vent about how mad I am. Sometimes I draft tweets that are vicious and then I don't send them. <laughs> I draft them and then, the and then I save draft and then I calm yeah. down, you know, um, and that, that'll probably come as a surprise to the people who think I'm a real asshole on the internet. But um, it, it takes work. But yes, you know, my goal is to, is to try to bring as many of us together as possible. And sometimes I literally go, is this going to welcome anyone in or is this only going to talk to people who think the way I do already? I ask mm -hmm. myself those questions every day. Um, and I also realize that part of my calling and part of my skill set is this work. And everyone has different skill sets. Some people don't want to speak in public, but they're incredible artists who can, you know, design the whole look of a of a campaign or, a, you know, come up with a rallying cry. That's not my spiritual gift. I can't even draw a stick figure. Like <laughs> beginning to learn that we all have gifts to offer. And again, I think if we if we gather in community and then figure out how as a collective we can affect better change, everyone can have a seat at the table. Everyone can participate. Um, those are all the things I think I've learned over the years. And you're no, and 
people have the capacity of change. We can't lose that optimism. Now of all times, just to say it one last time, optimists are going to be at the heart and the forefront of of saving our culture. Yeah. And saving it for everyone. Yeah. The people who 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 think they're going to be threatened by yeah. um measures we take to create a more equal and sustainable world, they will also benefit. They have no idea yet how harmed they're going to be mm -hmm. by the practices of their lawmakers because they're being so consistently lied to. Yep. And um, for them and and us, I want I want us to believe that we can do it because we can. They too. did it. They did it. Go to Berlin. You'll see. <laughs> We're going to do we, it. It honestly, Berlin changed everything for me. Yeah, it changed my approach. Mm -hmm. It changed my belief. It reinvigorated me and it, it remains now in my in my mind constantly yeah. as to as to what we can be so easily because yeah. we, we are a powerful place. When someone shows you another path forward and mm -hmm. you realize how good it can be, mm -hmm. you, you know we have more options. You know, there's suddenly another door we can walk through and I think it's thrilling. Well, I have loved sitting down with you. Please come back again so we can have the <laughs> mental health conversation. I'd love to. You're a fucking gem okay. and I so appreciate you. And I'll text you between my five to seven hour window so we can vent about politics. Please. Oh my God. Great. We can, we can vent together. <laughs> but before you go, I just want to ask you, what do you weigh? I weigh community, dedication, curiosity, love, and showing up. Lovely. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, my dear. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Erin Finnegan, and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson, and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code IWAY. Lastly, over at iWay, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iwaypodcast at gmail.com. And now... We would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. My name is Maya. I weigh the love of my two young nieces who admire me so much without question. I weigh my relationship with my family. I weigh my journey into womanhood as a transgender woman. I weigh my close friends who are chosen family. I weigh my ability to create great art and I weigh my spirituality and the love of art.